Welcome back. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the IT and the D show. I'm your host, Bob Walton Spiel. If I sound a little different today, it's because I just had my knee replaced and I'm relegated to the upstairs, not studio. So I'm using a, a bad mic. So hopefully it comes out clear. I know Randy, our producer extraordinaire, will make sure that my audio sounds fantastic. Guest this week, one of my favorite human beings on the planet, Jeff Maricini. He is with Altair Engineering. He's the chief information security officer. We're going to be talking about a lot of things with Jeff. Uh, he's a very intriguing human being. Been with a company in this world in IT in Detroit. It's very difficult to be with a company as long as he has and to keep growing the ladder and, and, and not move around every two years like some folks pointing at myself. Um, we're going to have some pretty great conversation revolving uh, the geek scene and uh, what Jeff does at work. And uh, we'll go from there. You can find us online, itinthed.com. And do us a favor, give us a like on the socials. Subscribe to us everywhere. Find podcasts are sold. If you're listening to us on Thursday release day, we will be at uh, Eastern Palace Club on uh, John R. and Hazel Park uh, from five to question mark. Um, I will not be there because I'm still using my granny walker to get around the house. So Randy is going to be holding down court. Which I'll he's do it. Very good at these days. He's, he, my, we, we're proud of him now. Um, <laughs> comes a long way. But no, check us out at meetup.com slash IT and find out where we're going to be. Just remember, no covers, no speakers, just a bunch of IT folks hanging out, having a good time with some good tiki drinks and some fantastic pastrami jeff how you doing buddy how, how's everything treating fantastic uh with this high wind today i had a branch done at my house uh the joys of being a homeowner but uh other than that doing great certainly really enjoy this hybrid work though it was nice being home to deal with it not have to come back and deal with it in the dark so love the hybrid scene nice nice jeff i know we have me and you i think we've run around this town in the it world for at least a, I, I think a solid 15 years if not longer i, I forget how old i am sometimes um and we got reached out to by the This Week in Enterprise Technology podcast, tweet.tv. And uh, I'm like, you know, I got to listen to the last four or five. Lo and behold, who's on the show? You. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm listening to the show and it's absolutely fascinating to me as I'm talking to Lou Maresca, the host, and he's like, yeah, here's this guy who implemented something that we said on our podcast. And I'm like, Lou, you don't understand. He's not just some guy. He's like the CISO from a you know billion dollar plus organization with a I don't even know how many locations these days. But like, this isn't like Jim Bob with his with his Raspberry <laughs> Pi server in the basement. This is some legit stuff. You guys should be proud. How did you? Uh, you said you were hitting him on Discord. How did you end up uh, getting on the show on, on uh, this week in enterprise technology? Well, Bob, I've been listening to that show for quite a long time. Uh, Fa Father Robert Balasir, who is a Jesuit priest, he's actually in Rome now, uh, got it going. So it's been going for quite a while. And uh, when he moved to Rome uh, to work with the Pope, uh, Lou actually took over as the main host. But there is a really wonderful group of people on that show. One of them is Brian Chi, and we call him Chibert. And uh, I've talked with him for, for quite a while mainly on what is now X, uh, the former Twitter. Unfortunately, that's his main main area there. But uh, Brian had a great idea that really helped us out at Altair because, like you said, we have a lot of locations. And one of the, the, the business lines we have is high-performance computing. So we put HPC clusters, as we call them, with large GPUs, networks, you know, your, your kind of stuff, Bob. We put that stuff sometimes in difficult-to-access places and Brian had a great idea to use a Bluetooth remote console device that you can disable, you can secure it, you can enable it when you need it. 
But it turns out it's been very helpful because we've had some problems with firmware on some of our head nodes. So I adopted that, and uh, Brian actually asked me to talk about it on the show, so I covered it with Lou, and I had a good time. But uh, it was my first time on the show, so it's just uh, a few weeks ago. I believe it was episode 565. And uh, they they always have interesting guests, and uh, just like you, Bob, they know a lot of people. Yeah, it's funny because when Lou said he listens to this show, I'm like, you're lying to me. Like, what happened? <laughs> I know you always speak highly of us because of our when our, we did our pink slip parties and whatnot. But like, and he's like, no, I used to listen to you. And he, he cited a couple episodes. And I'm like, that's shocking to me. But yeah, it's uh, fantastic. And he does some big stuff at Microsoft. You know, he's in charge of the automation group there. Yeah, yeah. And Microsoft's one of my clients now at my day job. So it all, yeah, it all, uh. It all worked out good. And it's funny because he's like, what'd you think of the show? And I'm like, it sounds like work all day. Like it really does. Like we try to goof around a little light, have a little fun. And like, literally that just sounded like my last six hours of teams calls. Um, but Hey, I wanted to talk to you about the one thing that's super intriguing to me is knowing kind of the, the CIO slash CISO community here in Detroit and the kind of the coming up most of the, CISOs had a either, you know, a security engineering background or a consulting background, mixture of both. Um, you know, we're, we're practitioners. You, you know, you, on the other hand, we're, you know, we're VP of IT forever and, you know, mainly infrastructure. You did, obviously security is a part of it. Um, but at what point did you say, hey, I want to dive into this, you know, CISO role. I want to focus solely on security. And was, was there a ramp up or were you already 100% you knew what you were doing? No, I had to take some courses, Bob, and I've been with Altair for 26 years, which is kind of scary to admit. <laughs> and before that, uh, I did some work at Oakland University and with electronic data systems back in the day, General Motors and all that. So I, I've had uh, security kind of on the mind pretty much all the time. Um, you know, we implemented early firewalls at Oakland uh, back in the day, the checkpoint days. Uh, it was a very different world back then. And at Altair, one of the, the challenges that, that we have uh, is because we're a pretty acquisitive company, when we bring new organizations in, you, you feel kind of bad because a lot of these smaller businesses that get acquired, they don't have the the, the bandwidth, the time to uh, really spend time on security. So you go to their office and they have like a consumer router that's plugged into the internet and not all their, all their computers are plugged into it and they're remote desktoping into their systems or SSHing into their systems or whatever. And you know, we come in there and we essentially have to rip it all out. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is. So over the years, I've replaced many networks, uh, had to rebuild, take some Juniper switches places and, you know, put an SRX, uh, Juniper SRX back in the day and the equivalent Cisco's and all that stuff. And you look at it and it's like, okay, you've, you've got this, this hard, crunchy <laughs> system out there and then the soft inside. Uh, and that just doesn't work anymore, Bob. So we've all had to learn how to deal with the high performance computing world, the software development world, and pick up uh, along the way, how can we in, uh, put in as much as we can with zero trust, but still allow people to actually get their day job done, work smoothly, and, uh, and deal with that. 
And Altair behaves a lot like a university. We've got a lot of really brilliant engineers. Uh, we, we, we have products that are in many different uh, domains. Uh, our competition is, is certainly uh, very active as well. So there, there's a lot of events that we do. There's a lot of people that, that, are, that are traveling. Uh, and then, of course, during COVID, everyone was working remotely. And our infrastructure had to be supportive but as secure as possible. So I have a small, scrappy team. Uh, we work uh, very tightly with the IT team. We work very tightly with our developer teams. And uh, we all work together to make this work. And I'll be honest, Bob, I had to take some ISC2 courses and I had to take okay. some ISACA courses. So it's not, all, it's not all bootstrapped. I actually had some good formal learning behind me, including one course from Columbia University. So there's always a, a chance to learn. Well, there's one thing that it's difficult to learn and that's the vendor space. I know, I think we have a mutual friend, Caston Thomas. It's kind of his job is to understand like, who's coming up, who's the next, who's the next vendor. When you bring up zero trust, that phrase word has been, God, dare I say, can I say bastardized on the show? Yes, Andy? Um, I agree with you. <laughs> that, show, that phrase has been just destroyed where people were pitching it as products. And I'm like, well, well I even knew better. And I'm, you know, I, I, I'm just have sales guys chops. And then, we're looking, it's almost to the point, it's not gone now, but like it should have been phrased as, it should have been coined as a methodology, not as a product. Well, um, how are you, I guess, wrangling the vendor? You know, it's too kind of a two-parter, but like this whole vendor matrix mess, I see there's way too many players. Um, yeah, well said, all, Bob. Go ahead. No, no, I said way too many vendors and they're all calling you to buy their crap. Um, how are you navigating that that world? Yeah, it's a very good question. And I, I'm sure I drive people nuts because uh, a lot of times I will be in meetings very early in the morning because we have staff in India, we've got staff uh, elsewhere in Asia, and uh, of course, lots of people in Europe, including Germany, love going there. So with that said, jealous, uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I have a lot of fun. I got to spend a, a month there last month, uh, last year, and it was so much fun. Uh, but with that said, Bob, you're absolutely right. And, and there's a lot of open source frameworks, too, like recently OpenZD uh, has becoming uh, more popular, makes it much easier for uh, even small organizations and even individuals to try this stuff. And you're right, it is a methodology, and it's a journey. And it's a hard journey for, for my organization in particular, because again, we've been very acquisitive. Uh, and when you bring in a, a new company into the Altair fold, we have to look at it from a perspective of we don't want to throw everything they did out uh, because in many cases they built something beautiful uh, and they've, they've worked really hard on it. But the reality of it is you get in there and, and they have like a, a very flat, say, add to directory and everything's tied into it. And there's, there's everyone's super user and there, there's, there's not a lot of granularity. So you have to take a, 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 an approach of, okay, we need to secure the perimeter. That's the obvious easy thing to do. Then we have to look at, okay, what is your methodology? What are your processes? How do you build your software? How do you collaborate? And what can we do to bring in that uh, essentially zero trust where it's it's not that we don't trust the human. What the concern is, is we have to be careful to make sure that the devices that are on the network, uh, the IoT devices, their computers, their software and so forth are authenticating. And not everything is just a single layer of guest or, uh, or super user. You have to have something in the middle there. And Bob, you're right. It's, it's, it, there's a lot of vendors in this space. There's a lot of confusion in this space. Uh, you can spend a fortune and still not be protected. Uh, so we've got a lot as an industry, I think 
think, to grow up and bring that methodology in because it's not a product. It's a process. Absolutely. But like the way I'm looking at it, like I've talked to a thousand companies about a thousand different things. And some companies, it's, it, you know, if my intellectual property goes to China, we're done as a, as a brand, as an, as, a, as an organization. Some people uh, don't want to lose their data. Some, you know, just don't want to get hacked. Um, do you have to put together that mindset of what what's important to this business organization before you put that framework together? Or I guess, what, what how do you go about that? It's a good question. And we actually have great people in China. Some of our best uh, mathematicians are in China. So we have to navigate that very carefully. So the approach that, that my team takes is we look at, okay, this is how this group is working. And then we have to act as influencers, Bob, because if I start giving orders, we've failed. Uh, you know, we, we all have to have anti-malware. Uh, we all have to have the EDRs of the world and all that. But we have to look at, okay, these folks are running scripts to build their software. They're talking to cloud providers. They may be transferring data to China. And, of course, there's new regulations about that. Use, using AI and GPUs in China is a U.S.-based company. We've got to respect that. Uh, these regulations make it tough. Our intellectual property in most cases is software and our customer data because customers are trusting us to run their, uh, their models to fix bugs uh, in our software and make our software better. So if our customers cannot trust us, again, we've failed. So realistically, the, the simple thing uh, is talking to people. So I spent a lot of time virtually on the phone uh, trying to understand people's processes. I bring in my architects, and we have some very good, well-trained people. We look at, okay, we can nudge these processes here. We can make it ISO 27001. You know, we, we, can, we can make it uh, in, in a way that will pass external compliance. But then we have to go on a journey we can only fix so much at once, uh, and in some cases, we we find things that we know we're gonna. It's gonna take months to correct, but we have to start it. and We have to monitor its execution because there's always the new shiny for a developer. There's always a new shiny for an engineer, and if you don't keep on track, they'll in many cases just to get their job done, they'll revert back to running everything as super user again, and then we we go backwards. So we have to stay in in tight collaboration, Bob, to make any progress. So having China, India, Europe, I'm just, you know, I don't want to say it's a, it's got, you know, what keeps you up at night, Jeff? No, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's got to be nightmarish at the end of the day to try to have standards and to have teams that really you can't have any control over and to have control over them. I mean, what, what goes through your head or how do you put those uh, methodologies in place? Yeah, well said, Bob. And, and the, the beauty of it is the majority of them care very deeply. Uh, and uh, as long as they understand what the boundaries are, they generally will stay within those boundaries and, and execute okay. It's really unfortunate that I can't take the latest NVIDIA GPU to China uh, because of these regulations, even though, like I said, we've, we've got brilliant people there. We've got brilliant customers there. But the reality is our governments are not getting along. I'm not going to change that. So we have to be very strict. Uh, those, those folks, they don't have the group rights to get on to the most advanced systems we have uh, and, and so forth. Same thing with banned countries and, 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 and countries of concern. Uh, we cannot execute in those areas, and we have to block them at our perimeter. We've got to be able to 
to block them so they cannot register with our portals because we also do SaaS. Uh, so my team has to work uh, very collaboratively with these folks to make sure that we're not going to make those mistakes and get the organization and get these individuals in trouble. What really keeps me up at night uh, is the fact it's the typical thing with security is uh, we make mistakes, criminals can get in. Uh, there's there's always something new that we have to, to deal with. But the exciting part of it is with some of these newer tools and these newer approaches that are coming out and frankly seeing memory safe languages like in the Linux kernel and Microsoft adopting Rust. Uh, that's something that's just recently happened. The future is we should have better capabilities to protect our operating systems, to protect our edges. Confidential computing is starting to come down in price, which means you can execute encrypted processing all the way through end to end. That type of thing, it's not yet in high performance computing, but it's already in some of the business computing, and that's a, a shining light for us. Uh, it's going to take a while for us to get there, Bob, but there are some great vendors. There's some great startups that are disrupting the the, the old-fashioned, that hard, crunchy and uh, border there with the firewalls. And then you get in through the firewalls and you got access to the whole organization. That stuff doesn't fly anymore. And there's a myriad of solutions to help us get safer. Yeah, I mean, because when I was a you know kid starting out, that was if you had a firewall. Oh, no, you know, let's can we talk about your security? Oh, no, we're good. We got a firewall. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I'm really happy to see that there is a common theme in kind of everything you're talking about, and it's all identity focused. I think uh, people miss the mark, or at least that you know th that that should be at the crux, your your a number one thing that you're locking down. Um, and I think for the most part, it's it's it, it, it's been the the key driver to everything. But like again, you're only as good as you know identity management until you you know the EDR stuff and everything. It's only as good as you know your your, your initial phases with identity. Um, well said. That and that's the whole thing with zero trust too. It's like, well, if you don't start with that, what do you have? You know, type of thing. So like, I'm I'm glad I've seen it backed off a bit. But here's here's a weird question that just popped up. We don't see. We used to get. Is it a PR thing or is it a press thing? We used to see stuff in the news constantly. The Target breach, the Home Depot breach. This school got hit by ransomware. This library in Missouri. This this tool shop in Midtown Detroit, this like, and, and it's been, I don't want to say it's been quiet. Cause I, I keep, I watch, I read the news every day. I watch, you know, what's going on in the industry, but like a lot of these security breach stories have gone. Is that a, uh, the, the insurance industry telling them to keep quiet? What is, uh, what have you, have you noticed the same thing or is it just me? No, I think you're right, Bob. I, th I think a lot of it's left the mainstream media. I think part of it too, though, is, uh, unfortunately, we have two wars going on. You know, there's a lot of challenges in Africa and other parts of the world. So some of the news cycle is is off. But if you listen to like the CyberWire podcast, for example, it seems like every day there's some major ransomware issue that uh, that they're covering. So I think some of that's moved into the, the security news. And of course, CSO Online and Dark Reading, uh, there's been a lot of discussions there. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, on the mainstream media, it's it's very you know it's very uh, difficult, uh, you know. And I feel bad for organizations that 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 have to go through that. Uh, it's it, it's it's really challenging, um, uh, and it's it's one of these things. The technology cannot completely block it. Uh, it it's a it's has to be a combination of people, process, and and technology to, even, to even really for some of these brands. Though, even yeah. for some of these brands, I don't think. It har harmed their business. Nobody stopped going to Wendy's and getting a Dave single. Nobody stopped going to Home Depot when it was Flower Day. You know what I mean? Like nobody stopped going to Target and spent $397 when they went in there for paper towels. 
Like it's, I don't think those stories like at the end of the day, which is weird to me. It's kind of like the, uh, you're old enough for the Tylenol cyanide story, right? Oh yeah. Like, do, do you remember Tylenol sales actually went up the lat- next quarter after they killed like seven kids or something with cyanide poisoning? It's amazing, but part of it too, though, is you hope that after they've went through this, they they get better. And I remember the the Bhopal, India disaster with the batteries. Uh, that was absolutely horrible. Uh, but with that said, Bob, it's it's a very good point. The the industry now with these new SEC regulations uh, on requiring disclosure within seventy two hours, and uh, and of course uh, making public companies put this stuff in their in their filings. Uh, I think that's going to cause uh, a, a, a lot of uh, examination too. And frankly, I think you've probably seen this, Bob. It seems like every day now, uh, Jen Easterly's uh, CISA organization from the U.S. government, they're publishing guidance virtually every day now. Uh, today, I believe there were three. I know there was a, a business continuity in a box that actually came from the Australian government, was published today by our U.S. government, which was fantastic to see that. And that even helps small businesses uh, uh, defend themselves. And if something does happen, how to recover faster. So the other thing that's happening is the government is starting to work with industry more directly, uh, I think, closer than they ever have. But we still we, we still cannot stomp out the cause of this. You know, should we block all of Russia because a lot of the ransomware gangs come from Russia? Well, that wouldn't be very good. There's a lot of good people in Russia. So it's it's a real tough uh, tough uh, uh, problem that I think we have to face that, uh, as a world. Yeah, gonna, true. You know, you're going to buy colo in Alaska and you remote in, and you know, I mean, let's <laughs> be honest, you can't like the the old days of geofencing. You know, maybe I'm the idiot that's wrong, but like I think no, that's getting right. very easily circumvented. There's so many the, the 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 networks are so complicated. Of course, now we have Starlink and other satellite type communications too. Uh, you know, you bounce a, a long range Wi-Fi. Uh, uh, there's there's all kinds of ways around those types of geoblocks. You know, look at what happens with North Korea. Uh, occasionally, you hear stuff out of there even. So it's uh, it's remarkable. But you're right, Bob. It's it's a real challenge. And I, I you know certainly as a CISO, uh, I do feel it much more than I have ever in any other roles. But the reality of it is is you know, CIOs have had to grapple with a long time. There's always never enough resources. There, there's a lot of people that mean harm out there, but there's also a lot of people that mean good. And uh, I do think the the other thing that's helpful anyway is we've never had processors as efficient and powerful as we have now. You know, look at the new M3 processors that came out of Apple uh, the other day. And of course, Qualcomm just had their announcement for the hopefully upcoming Windows uh, ARM systems. And we're seeing ARM being used in the cloud. We're seeing ARM on the edge. Uh, we're seeing more encryption layers. Uh, we're, we're even seeing some some proof uh, of, of protection against quantum devices. So there is potential, but it's still going to be hard to get that Fortran programmer or that you know that C plus plus programmer to hey maybe try Rust uh, instead of uh, implementing this stuff uh, in in uh, in ways that can be very easily cracked. And that's going to be hard for us, Bob. It's going to take a long time to undo some of the damage uh, that's that's that's, uh, that's been accumulated. We've got a lot of technical debt to clean up. And that's, you know, and here's the, this is Detroit, right? I think we're the home of technical debt. It should be on our team. We should make t-shirts. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, those were, we used to, one of our calling cries was, please, for the love of God, stop laying off big iron guys at GM. For the love of, you know, teach them the new stuff. And now you have somebody that knows legacy big iron and they can adapt to the new models 
right? They might not want to, but you know, sometimes you just have to say, here, here's our, you know, you have to get these four certs this year. We're going to put your whole team through this thing. Um, now you just invented your own purple squirrels that understands the new world and the old world at the same time and and can work. I don't, I, maybe I'm the crazy one because I don't see it in practice that often, but that's always been my take is for, you know, let, let the, the big iron people, please let, like, let them thrive and grow. It's a good point. And you look at it too, uh, Linux on the mainframe, not, you know, when that came out in, in the late nineties and the early two thousands, we were flabbergasted. Uh, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. A lot of those folks have what now is cloud kind of on the mind, uh, how to secure transactions, how to make sure that, 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 uh, that things run efficiently. Uh, and that's the other uh, challenge with with uh, with uh, the zero trust infrastructure too, and constantly rotating keys and all that. If if you lose your escrow key, or if something goes wrong with with your privileged access management system and so forth, you know you can lock out thousands of people, maybe more than that. So uh, uh, th- those mainframe guys, those big iron guys, knows how you know, and 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 so forth. They know how to deal with that. But the, the big challenge too is getting the networking folks that like to build these massive networks to also look at you know this IPv4 NAT mess, how hard that is to, to deal with. It's just astounding how slow, and I, I know IPv6 had flaws, but how slow we're rolling out IPv6 and making some of these security layers easier to navigate and understand. Uh, we've got a lot of work there too, but yeah, you're right. Uh, this is this town has had to deal with with uh, with a lot of change, uh, and yes, we've had technical debt. You know, you look at some of the the things that that happened around here with manufacturing and so forth. But we're also scrappy. We've been we've been down before, and we know how to rise again. And we're seeing that all over the place. No, it's just the. Um I was going to say the digital transformation, Randy, don't make fun of me. I was going to say the, the <laughs> stuff that I've seen with some older legacy companies, that, uh, I think what spurred it, and I want to talk, this is our next topic I want to talk to you about, but I've seen these old legacy been around for 120 years in Detroit, no cloud strategy because the old man wants to see the green blinking lights in the back room and they're they're, they're not offsite storaging because they want to see it here. Um, looking at Gen AI and it's opening up their, like, because they're basically looking at it going, if I don't do something with it, you know, the next three competitors are. Um, so we're having these conversations, a lot of these old companies um, that want to, you know, I guess, see what's available. What's uh, what's it like in your world? I mean, you guys are obviously a technology progressive company, but what's uh, the Gen AI landscape looking, uh, looking on your side of the world? Yeah, good questions. And uh, we actually have uh, a recent acquisition that's called Rapid Miner uh, that uh, the, the, the founders of that company looked at how can we empower and even train. So there's actually a free certification program anybody can go through to learn this software. How can we empower the average person that's got a ton of data to use AI techniques to make their job easier? Uh, so we've been doing digital twins, uh, what's now called that anyway, for quite a long time, uh, looking at simulation. So all that stuff kind of ties together. And you, you look at what you can do with, with our simulation tools and, of course, our competitor simulation tools, tie that in to Gen AI and tie that into what I would call traditional AI, which, uh, which uh, we, would, we would probably uh, at this point think of as, as obsolete, but it's still out there. Put all that together and realize, okay, I can take one engineer 
and maybe force multiply them into something like a team uh, and, and allow them to do things that would previously require a huge expenditure, a lot of people in a room together, and give them that ability to do that right on, on, on their laptop or a cloud instance. So that rapid minor technology has been really interesting because you can actually learn to become a data scientist. And what we're seeing a lot of our engineering teams do and a lot of our software developers do is go through that coursework, and it's it's kind of fun, it's, it's, uh, it's interactive, learn how to do things, and then they're mining their own data and they're mining their own code and realizing, okay, I have this big problem over here that seemed overwhelming just a, a, a few months ago. Um, now I can apply this and actually move a lot faster. And it's the same thing with analyzing security logs, Bob, uh, and the, the seams uh, and, and looking at some of the the, the noise and, and the, the, the false positives we, we get or, you know, sometimes worse, the false negatives. And training these models so they can help. We have to be careful with bias because bias is still a big problem in Gen AI. You Absolutely. see that all the time. And of course, hallucinations and all that. But I like this idea, and this is why I really was pleased when when we when we did this, of empowering the individual. So we're not just talking about a company. We're talking about, you know, people of, of, of all walks. And I think that's the approach that a lot of the big tech firms uh, uh, are starting to realize too we need to do. We're not trying to basically replace people's jobs or, or, or get rid of them and so forth. What we're trying to do is make them more efficient and force multiply them because some of the problems we have to deal with, like with green, you know, green computing, green energy, um, uh, reducing emissions in cars and planes and, and, and so forth, it's going to require all of us working working together. Uh, we can't do it alone, and we certainly can't do it just with technology. It takes the people too. No, ab- absolutely, it's a fantastic point. It brings it brings me what you were talking about brought me back to when we first started talking a long time ago, and I was with HP. And HP used to always have this formula saying your your workers are working eighty percent on maintenance and twenty percent on innovation. And I think about this all the time because. We used to have, you know, CIOs come into our studios talking about innovation, talk, you know, and it's all these different companies and these technologies and these things. And then I get, you know, we get to today and they're still spouting that same formula. Your, your employees are about 80% working on break fix and about 20% on innovation. We want to flip that. And I'm like, there's so much tool. There's so many tools. Like when you talked about the SIM stuff, you know, machine learning SIMs have been out for seven, eight years, if not longer, right. um, you, you have you know, the, the dev tools and things like that, Can the, the dev assist tools um, have been, you know, machine learning has been going on forever. Find the, you know, baseline the normal, find the weird. And I think just now with Gen AI, it opens up that hole because I think machine learning didn't get scoffed at, but it didn't get adopted as widely as we thought. Well and, said. It was missing the user interface in, in yeah. some ways. Uh, that's, Gen AI that's, the big, it all home. that's the big thing with Gen AI, exactly. Uh, being able to write a prompt, especially with, and that's the other thing that has kind of overloaded everything, Bob, is you're right, the, the machine learning in the Sims was good, but then we, we added millions of IoT devices, though, that had to be monitored. And before that was not being done. Uh, and you, you, you look at the, the footprint that is being monitored now, 
it's staggering. Uh, just at my organization, we have roughly 3,300 people. We have thousands of devices. You know, just in, in this room, I, I have like six computers. Uh, those all have to be monitored. They're all on the EDR. They're sending logs up the, you know, up to the up to the sim. Uh, all that crazy stuff. So you have to have something like Gen AI to make any sense of it. And you have to adapt to the fact that you have the puny code attacks where people are are sending links that look correct to a human. But the reality is you click that link, you're going to go to a criminal site. Uh, We have the Unicode attacks. That type of thing is more general. That stuff uh, is really hard to pick up with my eyes. But if I have essentially uh, my, my AI alter ego Watching what I'm doing, if I click on that link, uh, it should save me from from actually executing that payload. And that type of thing uh, is is really hard to do at scale with you know millions of millions to billions of people. Uh, we all so need droids to help that's us where I think journey. the potential is. It will. It will. And the Gen AI together droids. is huge. Go ahead. Sorry. We all need droids. We all need our little R two D two. We need a crow pilots. You know. Um, Hey, one of the things I wanted to talk about before, before we wrap, it's been driving me nuts. I feel like you're a good person to, to run this by. Um, I have a daughter in college. I have one, you know, graduating this year. All their friends come by. Um, I got a nephew, 16. He's, you know, nerd tendencies. And I talked to him about, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, what roles to get into, cybersecurity, data science, I can help you. And all of them just look at me like I farted. Like they're basically just like, are you you're kidding me? I don't want to do that. And I go, do you realize there's, it's not just one job. There's like a thousand jobs for each sector. It's not. And I'm trying to explain to them like, yeah, you're going to have a couple of years of shit jobs. Just like every IT guy I know did help desk for two years or every sales guy I know did cold calling for two years. How do you, uh, what's a good, I guess, what's some good, uh, not a pep talk, but what's a you know what's a good talk to for the for the next generation? Because I, I think I see everyone with their majors and everything. No one's ma- not a lot of people are majoring in IT these days, and I don't know why. It's a good point, and it's it's a scary uh, development too, uh, because a lot of the 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 folks that are that are in the industry right now, like like me, I've been with Altier for twenty six years. Uh, you know, I'm fifty five years old. Uh, I, I've I've certainly seen a lot change. My perspective is, and I, I get to talk to uh, to a lot of, a lot of people. I volunteer at Judson Center, uh, uh, so that's uh, certainly a, a a lot of enjoyment for me. My approach is you can apply data science and cybersecurity to just about every field. Marketing teams, sales teams, of course, like yourself, Bob, uh, you've had to deal with with a lot of data. When we look at uh, what we would consider library science, so our librarians uh, that, that, that work, they're really in many ways data scientists. You can see the impact of these tools in just about any industry. And my approach is, okay, maybe you don't want to f- go you know, basically all in on cybersecurity. But what you can always do is maybe minor in it or at least get some basic familiarity with it. Take some of the online courses that are often available for free. Um, you don't have to pay for, for, for ISACA or whatever. Get some exposure to it and at least have it as a plan B. Uh, because uh, last I heard, there's at least 350,000 job openings just in the U.S. alone for cybersecurity. And when you look at worldwide, uh, it's it's far more than that. Um, I don't think there's that potential in many other fields. 
even people that are developing computer games and entertainment software uh, and, and so forth need both of those skill sets, especially now uh, with what's happening with generative AI. The problem that they're going to have to face is most of them have grown up in the tablet and the smartphone era where you and I, Randy, we had to learn how to build our own computers in many cases. We had to fix our own computers. Sure. Uh, we had to deal with all that. And in most cases, if you try to take a tablet apart, you know, you could you could result in, in damaging the battery and possibly having a lithium ion battery fire. So they don't take these things apart. So we have to encourage them in other ways. And what I found is when you show somebody, like if you show them the homepage of, uh, of, of one of our data science tools, they're like, well, what can I do with this? Well, one of the first things you can do is you can look at, there's all these streaming services. Maybe build yourself your own app using the data science tools to figure out how I can optimize paying for all these streaming services, subscribing, dropping them. All that is is kind of a quick personal exercise that you can do based on the shows you like. And that's something that, that I can do myself with the, with the basic data science uh, knowledge that I have by taking the free online courses I've done uh, and, and, and build something. And then it's like, oh, I, I, can, I can do this. Same thing with cybersecurity. You can look at your home network uh, and download one of the, the Linux, like Parrot Linux, for example, uh, or Kali Linux. There, there's online tutorials. And look at what's on the wireless all around you uh, and and build up some 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 fun and, and and build up some awareness of what's going on when when you're when you're just sitting at home seeing all the traffic around us now on these on these myriad wireless networks and a lot of times you show that to a to a to a person that maybe doesn't have a lot of computing experience it's like oh I didn't realize this was going on there's like a hundred wireless networks uh, that I can reach I didn't know that okay now, how do you secure that? How do you make sure that that stuff is working uh, securely and take it to the next step? But like I said, even marketers uh, that that in the past have have you know thought their computer skills, aside from from uh, from building stuff up uh, uh, with graphics and so forth, wasn't that important. They are embracing these technologies and they're innovating. Uh, so there's room for all of us. Oh, good! It's fantastic advice. Like I. I'm I'm a little bit off when I with my advice I was you know <laughs> you know not not go build go build a Raspberry Pi server you know I wasn't a, a more uh, I I always hated GUI that's why I got into sales I was you know I, I don't know if I ever told you my origin story with the 300 baud modems Commodore 64s writing free code programs like you know I was uh, I was pretty much entrenched in it but I I hated coding I hated it sure. so got, got and it was the same that. thing with me Bob. You know, I, I put myself through college selling computer software, but it's it's not my forte. Uh, and, you know, and I ran a bulletin board system. I, I ran an Apple II-based one, then later on I ran a Xenix one, and then after that I ran a BSD Unix system out of my house in Clarkston for, for many years. And for a lot of folks, that was their only way to get into Usenet and, and uh, to get email. Uh, for trade quite a while wars. because don't forget trade wars yeah there you go yeah that was fun but you know they couldn't afford to call mnet and the source and CompuServe were freaking expensive so uh you know quite a few of us ran that stuff and i learned very quickly how to moderate how to deal with angry people uh you know as a, as a teenager that's something that that's 
not immediately obvious, but you build those skills, and that's still open for our young people today. You know, they 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 can still they can still set stuff like that up. Uh, I think blogging is and uh, is is not as common anymore for these folks, but we got to get them off the the endless TikTok reels. Uh, we have to entice them and and show them the power to be a creator. And it's not always making videos. Uh, some of it's going to be maybe using uh, codeless uh, technologies to build things. And I think that's going to be the future of where we go. Yeah, this, the sad part is the reels is where it's at with those kids. It's death scrolling, <laughs> man. It's so bad. So bad. Well, you can learn some good stuff there, too. But you're right. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've fell into it myself. Uh, there's a lot of fun cat videos and, and things like that. But after that, you realize, okay, I'm I'm wasting time here. What what can I learn? What can I do? Uh, and that's that's uh that's it's a good point. We have to stop that. It's our Jerry Springer. You know, you need dumb time is not a bad thing. Just don't. It, it can't be all Jerry Springer. <laughs> right. Well, you remember the MMORPGs? You know, we had people that were spending twelve hours a day playing those, and then you know, failing out of school and so forth. Uh, so I, I think that's. That that's our generation going through that stuff, but uh, yeah, I'm with you. We got to find ways to to help our our young people grow. So I was uh, we'll end this we'll end on our, one of my fun favorite topics, which is the con season, and uh, I'm absolutely heartbroken. I wasn't able to go to uh, Motor City uh, Comic Con yet this weekend because um, of my stupid knee. Um, one of my you know Billy Zabka, you know Ralph Macchio, Martin Cover there from Karate Kid, which I was like. Uh, and then uh, Peter Weller was there. I'm, a, I'm a, just an obscene RoboCop fan. And uh, do you remember, it wasn't even that long ago, where you could go with maybe 150 bucks and get a couple toys, vintage, and maybe like five autographs at 20 bucks a pop. Have you seen the prices lately of what these cons are charging? Yeah, it's you're absolutely right. And it's not just inflation. It's far more than no. inflation. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, you need a pretty big budget now uh, to get some of these things. But with that said, though, there's still uh, a, f- a few that are out there that are that are not as uh, obnoxious on the price. And I still love a good Comic-Con. I missed it this weekend, too, unfortunately. But, Bob, there's next year, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. You know what? I will uh, I will holler at you. We'll all go together. Hopefully, my, hopefully I can walk by then. Um, yeah, it is a big building, that's for sure. Yeah, the conventions that I tend to help with are a lot smaller, but uh, you, you certainly get your, your 20,000 steps in every day, you know, those small ones. Seriously, and I'm way too proud of a German to run around in that Walmart scooter, so I'm going to have to figure out how to walk. Um, we'll build you a drone. You ride a drone. I, fantastic. <laughs> I appreciate it. But hey, uh, Jeff, I can't thank you enough for the time spent. It's always good to see you. Um, as soon as I get up and running, uh, we've talked about grabbing lunch. I will uh, we'll hit you up. We'll... Uh, We'll get that on the calendar. Um, but hey, Jeff Maracini, CISO, Altair Engineering. Uh, you can find them at uh, many cons around town or on LinkedIn. We'll put the link in. Uh, just don't sell them anything. I'm just kidding. You can. I just, no, just don't. Um, but hey, on behalf of Bob and Randy, do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. Uh, see you soon. Drive careful. Beat it.